back and forth, some um, together as groups or as individuals there in your seats, some as we teach through some of it. But I want you to notice a few things this evening about serving, about serving the Lord by serving through His church. There are a lot of ways that you can serve the Lord. A lot of ways that you can serve God. But I believe that the Lord has made it pretty clear through His Word, particularly in the New Testament, that the avenue by which He calls Christians to serve is through the church, particularly through the local church, the body of believers that He has called you to belong to. We started with that with week one when we were talking about our membership class, that we are called to belong to one another, that we don't belong to a group or an organization or a place or a building or a club, that God first has called us to belong to each other as people. And in the same way that we are His children, that is relationship-based, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That is relationship-based. And that before we are called to do anything as a church, we are first called to each other. And so if we have that mindset right in our hearts and our lives, and we've talked the last few weeks, we've talked about gathering, uh, we have talked about caring for one another, what those things mean and what, we, what opportunities, what responsibilities we have as church members. And so this week we're going to talk about serving and that God has called us to one another and we serve Him together. Now, that doesn't mean that anything and everything that you do for God has to be sanctioned by the local church. Uh, there are some churches that would teach that, or I would say there's some religions that it kind of everything is channeled through there. And it's not that everything that you have to do has to have some sort of, if you're a member here at this church, LBC stamp of approval or a literal stamp on it if you hand it out or if you give it or if you're ministering or talking to other people. That's not what we mean as the goal. That's the mindset of, I belong to an organization. I belong to uh, an object or to a group. But first, we belong to each other as people. And I think that the precedent is taught in Scripture that we serve God serving with one another as a church, serving toward each other as individuals, and then also serving outward and serving the community. And I think that that's displayed and exemplified for us by Jesus. You think about all the places in the gospel where Jesus talked about what is my, what is his purpose? As he would tell his disciples, what is my purpose? My will is to do the will of my Father. His first goal was to serve the Father. But how did he do that? He would then serve and minister and teach that group of believers, those disciples, apostles that had been called around him, and he poured his life into them. And then in turn, he would turn outward. And he expected that of the apostles that he was serving, that then he would serve with them to serve outwardly to all of those that were around him. And so you say, well, do we serve God? Do we serve each other? Or do we serve the community? What's the goal of the church? And the answer is yes. All of those things. Jesus calls us to do each of those and He exemplifies that. He serves the Father. 
He served those that believed and followed Him, and yet He also served those outwardly that did not follow Him. We found an example of that even this morning in Matthew chapter 14. Here is the large multitude. Not all of them were real believers. In fact, you study the book of John, many of them walked away from Him in that moment. In the, in the coming days after that, He wouldn't give them any more food and He wouldn't do anything. Many of them walked away from Him, but He continued to serve them. So we serve upward, and we serve inward as a church, and we serve outward as a church. And we're going to look at some of those things tonight. You see, it says there, no follower of Jesus is called to be a spectator. And read it again, no follower of Jesus. If you're a Christian, you are to be a follower of Christ, an imitator of Jesus. And there is no one in Scripture that Jesus sort of gives the option to. If you follow Him then you serve. No one is a spectator or a sponge just absorbing things in. What happens to a sponge that absorbs things in and never gets wrung out? It turns sour. It's nasty. It's old. And the same is true of our lives. If we receive, receive, receive from others, from those that minister in the local church, from even the teaching of God's Word, we receive, but we never produce outward. We never serve outward. We never serve others. We're never wrung out and poured into other people's lives. Then we turn bitter and sour ourselves. We're never called to be a spectator. You see there throughout the Gospel accounts, the New Testament believers are over and over and over called right away to serve God and others. Have you noticed that about it? I think that sometimes, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but that's all right. I'll let myself do it because my mind's racing tonight. So we'll, we'll go that way. Sometimes we don't serve because we feel that we sense our inability or we don't serve because we sense our inexperience. And it's interesting to watch Jesus in the Gospels as He calls the apostles to Him. He never limits any of them by their inability or by their inexperience. Now, I want you to notice He doesn't just turn anyone and everyone loose when He calls all the people to the Sermon on the Mount very early on and His apostles have been following Him probably for a few months at that point. He does not gather this large crowd and then turn to Peter or John or James who are very young in their faith at that point and say, let them have it. Go ahead. Just turn loose. He doesn't do that. But He also doesn't call them to sit on the sidelines waiting to just be a better Christian or become a better person. No. Immediately He calls them into service. In little things... Like, hey, here's a basket that has a loaf of bread in it. Go around and start passing this out and in infinite amounts of bread it seems go around and loaves of fish. Something as simple as walk this from person to person and hand it to them. And he allows them to be a part of that. Things like in Matthew chapter 10 and 11 where he calls them out. He sends them two by two to go spread the word in the area. There's a lot of people that kind of debate what Jesus is doing there. Was he sending them out to actually preach the gospel at that point? Or were they going out to be gathering others and say, hey, there is this one, this Messiah, there's Jesus that has come. You should come hear him. Either way, it doesn't doesn't matter. He sends them out to preach and to teach and to proclaim who he is. And so right away, Jesus in the life of believers, you see that again told in all throughout the New Testament in the book of Acts. People are saved and then they serve. People are saved and then they serve. And sometimes those capacities to serve change with time. 
That's why the Bible says that somebody that is to pastor or to teach in that way or over, help oversee a church congregation says he's not to be a novice, meaning he's not brand new to the faith. It's not like you get saved one day and the next day he's preaching and teaching. However, I think sometimes we use the excuse in our life that I don't have enough experience or I don't have enough ability. And so we permanently eliminate ourselves from serving in some capacity. I think I'm limited by my age, my physical capabilities, my speaking ability, my demeanor. I'm just naturally a grump, so I can't do whatever it might be for Christ. We, we sense our limitations and we limit ourselves permanently in those things. But I think that as we look tonight, you see that it says many Christians know that they should be actively serving in and through the church. Again, it doesn't mean the church has a domineering attitude toward people and I, as a pastor or someone that's in leadership can point at somebody and say, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. And if you do something outside of the church, then the walls... Of the... No, we, we want to be serving in all areas and all places. What we're saying is Christians should actively be serving in and through a church, a body of believers that God has called them to. But what often is lacking is a deep and proper motivation for long-lasting committed service. We're often intrigued with serving God for a while in some way, maybe in a church, but then we give up if those things don't accomplish what we think that they should. I wrote it down this way, and I can jot it down if you want, if it applies to you, but sometimes we serve when opportunity, interest, agreement, and motivation all line up. It's like if all of those things come together, then I will serve in some way. But God never gives us that instruction. That, that, uh, that if your opportunity aligns with your interest, that then aligns with your wholehearted agreement with how something's being done or not, or, or how everybody else that you're serving with is doing it. And then if that interest then lines up with the right motivation, then, and, and then I'll serve. No, God calls us to serve Him motivated by something completely different. So I want us to see that tonight in Romans chapter Number 12. Look, if you would, verse number 1. <clears throat> it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, means logical service. That the, It makes sense that this is how we serve the Lord. And then verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through grace, the, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, seriously, rightly about himself, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office or purpose, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Again, speaking, you see it over and over again in the New Testament, the responsibility that we have, not just to God, but to one another. I think sometimes when we think about serving or whatever, our capacity in the local church, we think, well, I'm only responsible to God. That's the only one that I answer to. Ultimately, that is the only one that you answer to, but by Scripture and by God's authority, it's not the only people that we are responsible to. Because the one that we are, that is an authority over us, God, 
has given and delegated a responsibility of one another to each other. And so we don't just get off, I do what I want, I go where I want, I say what I want, and I live independently. No, no, God has given us to one another. And so we have to have the right motivation to serve one another. Notice, if you would, verse number 1 in chapter 12 again. I beseech you, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I want to stop there for a moment. I want you to notice that when we consistently look to the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus, to be reminded of what God has done for us, our sins are forgiven, we have right standing with God, we have peace with Him, that should stimulate worship and obedience in our lives. Because I want you to notice in verse number 1, notice again what it says. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, by what we know about the mercy and grace of God, and then notice he uses the word therefore, it's pointing back. To chap- specifically to chapter 9, 10, and 11, which talk of 8, 9, 10, 11, which talk about the grace of God in salvation. How He displays that grace toward us. How He died for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And then in dying for us, He then raised a new life for us. And we have resurrected life in Him. And so, when He says in chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, I beg you therefore, what He's saying is, thinking about all these things. Romans 1-12 through really is a huge dissertation on the Gospel. And he starts with, hey, Romans 1, this is sin of the world. Romans 2, the Jews, even religious people are sinful and have a need. Romans 3, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then he begins to walk through those things. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And we know that we the, the power of salvation, the, the Gospel is the power of God to salvation. So he preaches the gospel over and over and over again in Romans 1, all the way through chapter 11. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And then he starts chapter 12 with this in mind, the gospel in mind in verse number 1. Therefore, because of the gospel, I beg you in thinking about the mercies of God. Notice that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Our motivation to serve as a church, and remember all three phases, to serve upward, to serve inward, and then to serve outward. The motivation for all three of those things is not people. It's not others. Because let's be frank and honest, we get tired of each other. And if we're serving outward, we get tired of other people. But a motivation that will not wane. You say, well, it's just not worth it. They're not worth the time. Right. Neither are we. The Bible says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have no worth of our own except through Christ. Except through what God has deemed those that He loves, those that He died for Himself. And so if Jesus is motivated by God's love for the people in the world, we then can be motivated by that love, by the very Gospel by which we are saved. So when we look at God's mercy, His offering of Himself for us, the logical, rational, reasonable response is to serve Him. And I think that sometimes our service is motivated by the wrong thing. We serve in the church if there's others that are also interested, if other people I like are also doing the same thing. We serve in the church if we see a certain kind of result. We serve in the church if we have a certain kind of feeling and enjoyment. But here He's saying, I beg you, serve God... Because of the gospel. If for no other reason, 
Because you have right standing with Him. He has freed you from all other things. It's probably, I know ahead of time, it's probably a poor illustration, but I'm going to try to do it a little bit justice. Imagine somebody tomorrow, I'm 35 years old, or however old you may be, and some of you may already be retired, so it may not be that gripping of an illustration for you, but you, you go to work every day, you do things, and imagine you're 30, 40 years old, and you're thinking, i got to work 20 more years, 30 more years, 80 more years, whatever it may be, to be able to retire. And somebody comes and says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give you $50 million. And not only am I going to give you $50 million, I'm going to, I'm going to pay somebody to work in your place at the job you currently have. You get to keep your insurance, your relationship, your authority. You get to keep all those things. I'm going to give you $50 million. I'm going to pay somebody to work your place and your job. And I'm, you have no, nothing that holds you to this. Like You don't have to show up. You don't have to do anything. It is just, it's free. I'm just giving it to you. That would probably, should probably, affect the way you're going to live tomorrow. Uh, not a lot of, some, some people say, well, I just like to work. You may go in. Maybe you will. But hopefully, if somebody does that for us, it frees up our life. We, we would look at somebody very selfishly who then secluded themselves for the rest of our life, was not benevolent, didn't help anyone else, was overly demanding of people and others, demanded that others serve them. And we would think, you did nothing to deserve this. Why are you treating others this way? But God has made us right with Him. We don't have to earn our way to Him. We don't have to earn His love. We don't have to gain anything, any standing before Him. He has given us the free grace gift of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are at peace with Him eternally. So we should live that way. The same way that hopefully $50 million and somebody to work in your place the rest of your life would allow you the freedom to be kind, to be benevolent to others. In the same way, God has given us peace with the One that has created us. And now we can live in turn motivated by what He has given us. Notice the two commands in Romans 12, verse number 2. How does He say we're going to do this? How do you serve the Lord? How do you serve upward, inward, and outward? And notice, the first thing He says in verse 2, be not conformed to this world. Literally, to don't be pressed into the mold of the way that the world sets things up. And there's a lot to this. It's talking about the way you look, act, think, feel, the way that you live your life. Don't be pressed into the way and the system of a godless world because you're not a godless person. So don't be conformed to this world, but, notice, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're giving you several passages or verses there that we should dwell and constantly think on the renewing of our mind. So why are we not conformed and why are we then transformed? Notice that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word prove there means that you can discern. And don't we all want that? Don't we all want to be able to discern? It's probably one of the more common questions that you get as whether it's a pastor, youth pastor, whatever it may be, as a long-standing Christian, somebody that you're mentoring or discipling. Well, how do I know the will of God? And he says here, Don't be conformed to this world. Transform your mind by God's Word. And when you do that, you'll be able to discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. And so, being motivated by the grace of God, being driven and informed by the Word of God, we are then called to serve Him. 
Notice Romans chapter 12, verse 3. It says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. Notice that phrase. Underline it, mark it, however you want to. And it's not saying every male. It's saying every person that is among you. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Now notice this phrase. According as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. He says, every one of you should sense that God has given you something. That measure of faith that he's discussing there, it's not just faith and salvation. God has gifted you all with something, is what he's saying. You go through the rest of the passage, he begins to speak about gifts in the very next few verses. Verse number 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. And then he gives this list, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but I want you to think he's saying we're motivated by the mercy of God, but then second, we're motivated by what God has given us, what ability has given us. And notice where he says, don't think more highly than you ought to think, but notice this, but think soberly. So, so there's, there's two sides to this. You don't think of yourself as overly prideful. I can do everything. I'm amazing. But you're also not self-abasing. You're also not self-loathing and say, I am nothing and God's given me nothing to serve Him with. I have no worth. <coughs> Excuse me. That is not a humble, God-given thought. but That is a devilish, self-motivated thought. And so when He calls us in verse Number three there, he says, For the grace given to you to every man, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Think rightly about what God has given you. And then he goes on and he gives these gifts. How are we motivated by the gifts that God has given to us? I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians very quickly, if you will. We'll come back to Romans in just a moment. <coughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we think of... Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Corinthians 14 as some of the primary teaching on gifts. And there's a lot of different things that people talk about, gifts of preaching and gifts of worship, gifts of tongues, diversity of gifts, diversity of prophecy, and all the things that are involved with it. It's a primary teaching. God has given us each spiritual gifts. He makes that clear. He makes it clear. We just read it in Romans a moment ago in verses uh, 4 and 5 where he says every member of the body has a different function. We all have different abilities. We all have different capabilities. And God has called every one of us to use them for His glory, for the body's good, and for then the outreach to bring others to Him. That's the purpose of all of our gifts. It's not that some of us have gifts that we, our gifts are only for God, or our gifts are only for the church, or our gifts are only outwardly in outreach. All of our gifts are for all of those things. So before we can properly view how we're going to serve in a church, that's, how, that's a big question that first comes up a lot of times. And we're not even really getting into that this evening. As church members, yes, we should be asking, how can I serve? Where can I serve in the church? Those are important questions. But before you ever ask how you can serve, and where you can serve, you should first ask, why are you going to serve? And I want you to notice, 1 Corinthians 12, we're not going to read it. How many of you have, most of you have titles of some type in the different sections of your uh, Bible. And you notice that right above chapter 12, verse number 1, probably says something about diversity of gifts or spiritual gifts. 
the middle of the chapter, it says something probably about the body of Christ or the function of Christ, that we are all members one of another. All of our gifts contribute to one another. Chapter 14, you probably see something about gift of tongues, interpretation, the author of peace, and these gifts that God has given us. But wedged right into the middle of those sections about gifts, we have chapter 13, which is known as the chapter of love. It's interesting, we read first chapter, first Corinthians chapter 13, quite often we'll read it at funerals. Oh, excuse me, at funerals, at weddings, and maybe funerals, but at weddings, primarily. We'll read it at weddings, depending on how you view it, maybe same thing, I don't know. But you have weddings, and you read first Corinthians chapter 13, right? And you read, oh, here's what love is, here's what love is. But notice the context of first Corinthians 13. First Corinthians 12, the whole body should serve one another. 1 Corinthians 14, here are some gifts that God gives us to serve one another. 1 Corinthians 13, here's what love looks like as it serves with those gifts. It's right in the context of serving one another. We have this dissertation, if you would, on love. I want you to look. I'm going to read the first few verses, and then I want you to read. I'm going to, we're going to take a four or five minute break, and I want you to read uh, chapter... 13 verses 3 through 8. But notice it in verse number 1. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, where charity there just means love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. It says, I could, I could speak eloquently, beautifully, like a boisterous man of wisdom or like an angel declaring straight words from God. But if I don't do it with love, it's just noise. It's just distraction. Verse 2, Though I have the gift of prophecy, the ability to hear from God and apply and then to teach and exhort others with it. If I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity or love, it profiteth me nothing. Think about what he says. If I could speak mightily, if I could understand and discern Scripture and find the mysteries, if I could have faith that would move mountains and do mighty works, if I could give all that I have to the poor, if I could give my body to be sacrificed and martyred for Christ and do it without love, it has no value and worth. So, why are we reading this portion for the next few minutes? Because before you can ever say, where can I serve? How can I serve? The Bible is very clearly saying here, don't serve unless you're motivated by love. Now, don't use that as, you say, well, I don't have the love, so I shouldn't serve. No, his exhortation here is, you should have the love in your heart from uh, what we find in Christ in the gospel. So I want you to read verse number four through eight. And I want you to just list the description of love. Put it in your own words. The word charity there means love. Charity suffers long. What does that mean? Charity is kind. Charity envies not. What does love display and look like? If you're sitting near somebody, a friend that's near you, or a family, couple, whatever, read it out loud. Alternate verses. And then just fill it in for a few moments. And we'll come back in a second. We'll hear it in some of our own words. All right, work on that. Verses 4 through 8. What does this description of love look like? It says there in verse number 4, charity or love suffereth long. What does that mean? Just to paraphrase, you can use one word probably to do it. 
Love, it suffers long. What does it mean when somebody is long-suffering? They are patient. Love, people that love are patient. Love is kind. Charity does not envy. It envieth not. How about this one? Charity vaunteth not itself. What does that mean? It's humility. It's not boastful. It's not there for its own purpose. It is not puffed up. Meaning it's not conceited. It doesn't build itself up in its own mind. Verse 5. It does not behave itself unseemly. Meaning it doesn't misbehave. It's, it's, it's not have a secondary motivation under the current. <clears throat> Middle of verse 5. It's not... It says it seeketh not her own. What do you think it means that love doesn't seek its own? What do you think? What was that? Putting others first. Love is not selfish. It's not just self-driven. When it says it doesn't seek her own, it means love doesn't get up in the morning and just think, how can I get what I want today? How can I have the things that I desire? But no, rather, it lifts up others in honor preferring one another. It is not, uh, middle of the verse, it is not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. And literally that means uh, it, it doesn't keep record of people's evil. It doesn't think on the evil of others. It's not saying, although love wouldn't, shouldn't do this either, it's not saying love doesn't have bad, deceitful, evil thoughts. It means love does not constantly dwell on how others have harmed it. It doesn't constantly dwell on the evil or the mistakes of others. Notice verse 8, charity never faileth, doesn't end, doesn't have an end to it. He gives an example, whether prophecies they shall fail, tongues they shall cease, knowledge it shall vanish away, uh, for we know in part, we prophesy not, but when that is, com- that is perfect to come, then that which is in part shall be done away. He says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And it's interesting here, love is associated with maturity. As, as a Christian matures, they will love in a deeper way. Notice verse 13. Now abide faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And why would he wedge this chapter about love right in the middle of these gifts? Because he's, he's already kind of given us the answer. He says, you can serve, you can do mighty stuff. But if not motivated by love, it's useless. And so if we work and serve one another, we work and serve and try to glorify God, we work and serve and reach out to others, if we're not motivated by love, how do we know if we're motivated by love or not? This is a pretty good list. When we serve <clears throat> within the church and toward one another, are we patient? As we serve others, are we kind? As we serve one another and we serve outwardly to those that are lost, do we envy Are we boastful in our serving? Are we conceited that the way that we have chosen to serve is better than the way others have chosen to serve? Do we act with selfish motivations? Are we easily provoked? Does my service turn off pretty quickly? Well, fine. I'm not going to give you this anyway. You you don't deserve it. If you don't enjoy it, you don't like it, you don't savor it, you don't think highly enough of it, I didn't want to do it anyway. Does our service keep a record of when others don't return that service? Does our service find joy in others' unrighteousness? Does it rejoice in the truth, as verse 6 says? Do we rejoice when others come to Christ? Do we bear all things, believe all things? Do we hope in all things? Does our service endure all these things? Does our service end? 
And if it does, then we're not motivated by love. Look back quickly as we finish Romans chapter 12. How we serve in the church. Let's look at some particular things. So motivated by the gifts that God has given us. So we're first motivated by the gospel. But then we should be motivated by what God has given us. The abilities and the uniqueness, the diversity of people that are within the church speak to the unity of the church. Think about the body. The body is so vastly different. He uses the body as an example of the church over and over and over. In the New Testament, the body organs and pieces and bones and skin and hair and all the different senses, they're vastly different from each other. Completely different from each other. And yet, they are all unified to each other. Like, like your body, your nose doesn't do one thing today and your ears do another. It may feel like that at times, but that's not the case. They all contribute to the whole. And though they are very different, they are also very much bound to one thing. And sometimes when we try to pull away from each other, we harm the body of Christ. We are called to be unified together in faith and through Him. And so, as God gives us gifts as individuals and uniqueness, let's not scowl at those. Let's not wish we were something different. Let's not wish we were something better. Let's not wish we could do something that someone else does. God has given you the opportunity to do what you do best, what He has placed in your heart and in your mind and in your, in your interests, in your abilities. Some of those things can be developed, yes, but we don't look down on them. We are motivated by who God has made us. If you are a tender, compassionate person, don't wish that you are brash and bold and, you know, I, I wish I wasn't affected by people the way that I am. No, look if you would back in Romans chapter 12. Look at the end of verse number 8. I'm getting ahead of myself again, but look at the end of verse 8. He says, this is a gift. One that showeth or he that shows mercy with cheerfulness. A merciful person, a naturally compassionate person. We should all strive for that. But there are some people that are gifted in it. They are gifted in being merciful, compassionate, moved people, empathetic people. That is a gift. Don't destroy or deny the gift that God has given you, but rather use it to serve Him and to serve His people and to serve the world around us. Notice, if you would, the list of gifts in verse 6. He then, uh, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, and, and here's, he gives us seven here. Prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching. He that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And he gives us seven sort of uh, gifts that he, that he speaks here. And there's, there's some that are verbal and there's some that are nonverbal. And it doesn't mean that some people, they only serve in a verbal way and that other people only serve in a nonverbal way. And they kind of merge in the middle. You have those first three are sort of your verbal ones. Prophecy, teaching, exhorting. And then you have ruling. And that sort of combines both leading others. That can be verbal, but it's also nonverbal. It's sort of where they merge. Then you have serving, ministering, you have giving, and you have mercy. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. 
This doesn't mean that everyone has to fit into one of these seven or a few of these seven and there's no other gifts outside of it. No, this is just a set of examples that Paul gives us. God has no limit on what part of your life He will use. He may have given you something a little different than all of these and He can use it for His glory. We saw this morning that God is not limited by our limitations. He is not bound by our natural reasoning. But He does give us these and you can jot a few things down with each one of them. Prophecy, that's sort of discernment and application. We, it's not exclusively, you would not say it's exclusively preaching. It's not only that. It goes a little deeper and further than that. We know that by the time that the New Testament closes, that God's actual audible verbal prophecy to people has sort of come to an end. The Bible says He gives us a more sure word and that it is now written for us. But prophecy means that I, you hear and take God's word, you discern it, and then you apply it and you help apply it to a circumstance or situation in which we are dealing. Then there's teaching. Those that expound God's word to one another. And there's not just one person in the church only that should be able to do these things. Notice exhorting is verbal. That's encouragement. There's a lot of different ways that that can happen. It could be in a public way or in a private way. Teaching can be in a public way, in a class, in a setting like this. It could be a sermon. It could be whatever it be. But it can also be individual. It can be discipleship. It can be mentoring one person individually. God has given us different abilities to use for Him, and we should be using all of them. Ruling, meaning leading or guiding, serving. It says there, for those that are minister, or those that have ministry and are ministering, and those that serve others. It could be a physical serving. It could be, oh, you can fill in the blank. We can't, we can't spend time explaining every aspect of what that looks like in the 21st century now, but maybe you're gifted in just giving yourself to others, accommodating and pointing others to Christ in that way. Then notice he says, uh, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, meaning not not linking to, I'm going to give this if you do it the way I want to, but gives to those that have need. It's not only restricting it to giving in the traditional sense of tithing or giving to a fund or giving to a thing, but rather I give of myself. It's not even just financially. Those that give of something that they have that others have need of. It's a display of Christ's mercy in their life. And some are more prone to be that kind of person. Then you see their mercy, compassionate toward others. And again, you don't look at these and say, well, none of these are mine. No, I'm not naturally good at any of these. Any of them can be developed. And I want to close with this. How do we discern what gifts that we have? There's a couple different words we put there. But first, self-examination. And then by experience. That's how I would advise people to try. Well, what is your spiritual gift? First, look inward. What is your natural inclination? What are your natural interests? Where are your natural abilities? Sometimes you'll find those by looking at what job you have fallen into or uh, what career path you have taken. May, you may have, hey, if, if you lead a huge number of people in a corporation or at work or whatever it may be, or you guide people to do one thing or another, you build houses, you do, you know, whatever it may be, and you're constantly dealing with others and bringing them together for the good of a project or something, there is something that God has called you to do within His church. 
He, he can use you to help. It may not be that you're going to pastor the church. It may not be that you're going to head up a certain thing or a wide scope of authority in church, but it may be there's a project within the church. There's a ministry that God is leading people to kind of get organized and get going and start those things. Maybe that's your natural inclination, and God can use that. Maybe you're just a hospitable person. You host people well. You minister and serve to them. And there's weeks that people are going through difficulties. There's weeks that people are going through difficult times and there's strain. And you can host and bring people together in that way. That's a gift that God has given to you. Some of you, God has given you a great mind with your assets, what you have financially or what you have physically. And you're inclined to give and to share that with others and with God's purpose and with His church. All of these things God should be calling each of us to. But what are your self as you look inward, what are your natural interests? What are you naturally good at? Because here's the truth. God is not going to give you talent and ability in an area and then not let you use it for His glory and in His church. It's not going to happen. He doesn't give you an inclination and a talent and an ability that He cannot use for His service. And then notice, sometimes there's experience. How many? There's times in life that... You, have, you do something because you're interested in it and you want to do it. Then there's other things that you find out that you're halfway decent at because you have to do it. Um, there are certain things around my house and different things throughout the years that I've gotten fairly adept to, to working on. I'm not, I wouldn't do it by profession, per se, but I have learned to repair certain things and I have that ability because I had to. They're not the things I want to do. <laughs> They're not the things that I love and enjoy doing, but I, now I can do them. And I have gained that by experience. And there may be something in your life, it's not your favorite thing in the whole world to do. But something in your life has brought you to the place and given you the experience in this, and you can do it. And you can do it well. And if that's the case, God can use that for His glory in serving upward, serving inward in the church, and then serving outward. So, I encourage you at some point to look at these and write them down. As you look inward, what's your interests? What are you naturally talented or able to do? Write some of those things out. And then also, what's your experience throughout your life? What have you just naturally fallen to be able to do? Uh, And use that as well. We're going to come back next week and have a little uh, spiritual gift discernment survey almost that we're going to kind of fill out and work through and it may help have an idea where we can serve, how we can serve. And then notice the last thing. We're motivated by the return of Christ. I encourage you to read 1 Peter 4. 7 through 11. And, and we've talked about that in the past, that the earth, it talks about the destruction of the earth, that it's going to be purged, that there's going to be a new earth, that there's going to be eternity that we then enter into. And it says, thinking about this, what manner of persons ought we to be? How should we serve the Lord? So think about it. Are you motivated by the gospel to serve in your church? Are you motivated by the abilities that God has given you? God gave this to me. And now I want to use it for Him. And are you motivated by this, the fact that this doesn't last forever? You only have a while to serve in this way. You only have a certain amount of time to affect a broken world. And here's the wonderful part about it. It's going to be perfected. I can't wait for that. But you're only given a certain amount of time to affect a broken world. And we're only left here a certain length of time and days. So let's not waste what the opportunity that God has given. Let's serve together. See there are the action steps as we close. <clears throat> and I hope that you'll read through those and walk through them, write them out for you. 
There's some things over the next few weeks and months that we're going to do, kind of restructure some things, even within our church. There's everything from a welcome team, hospitality, kids ministries, teaching. We need teachers and adult classes. There's outreach that we're going to be doing, visiting, and uh, the postcard team that already kind of, they write out some postcards and we mail it to new move-ins. We've had people visit our church from that. That's a way that you can serve. Assembling things, greeting people when they come for the first time and affecting them that way. People that work with those of our church that have illness and uh, cancer or sickness and the way that you empathize with others, God can use those things. There's things within the physical facilities of our church, but also outwardly in the community and reaching out and how we can help others. And so I hope that you'll pray over these next few weeks and then as we introduce some of those that you will find God's place for you here and use it and use the gifts that God has given you to serve Him. Let's ask Him to help us and we'll be dismissed tonight. Lord, You're a good God, holy and righteous. You have saved us. If we're Christians tonight, You've saved us. And You have not saved us for ourselves. As Your Word says, You have not saved us to serve self, but to serve You. To give our life, the time that we have here on this earth, in this broken world, serving you in light of the perfect world that is to come. So we ask that you'd teach us to serve one another, to love one another by serving. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.